Welcome to the Talent Pool Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Kaplan, founder and CEO of Kaplan Partners, a retained executive search and board advisory firm headquartered in Philadelphia. My very special guest today is my good friend and client, Frank Sorrentino. Frank is the founding chairman and CEO of Connect One Bank, headquartered in Northern New Jersey. Frank launched the bank almost 16 years ago and has grown the institution to seven and a half billion in assets and a very high level of performance. Welcome, my friend. Alan, how are you? Let's dive right into the talent pool and talk about the beginning. You were a successful real estate developer who decided to launch a community bank. Why on earth would you do that? Well, my bank pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do it. Uh, yeah, we. Um, so I, I come from four generations of builders, contractors, stonemasons, uh, going all the way back to Italy. But um, and I thought my entire career would be in the building development business. But uh, around 2004 or so, uh, I was, as you know, as you know, being in the building development business, uh, banking is a critical part of uh, you know of, of what we need to. Uh, to have a partner in. And um, I had been through a couple of transitions over the years. Uh, but the last one that I went through in 2004, and when I say transitions, banks had been merged or acquired or whatever. But the last one was really quite painful. And it became very apparent to me that there was a market out there for small businesses like myself. And I considered myself a small business um, that the market really wasn't there for someone like myself in the banking space and that the larger institutions and certainly at that time what was considered to be a large institution just didn't really understand my business and i was tired of bank hopping and i got this crazy idea that you know what i come from a client service business i understand what you know i was a custom home builder so i you know the the top of the line dealing with uh, you know various clients and 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 making their dreams come true that i that i could build a financial institution that would satisfy the needs of small businesses and put themselves in the shoes of the clients that they serve you know that's one of the things i always thought about uh, when i was building i always tried to sit on the other side of the table and try to understand what what did my client want what was their expectation what did they want something to look like or feel like or how are they going to use it and i tried to bring that expression through you know after bringing all the subcontractors materials suppliers and everybody together and when i thought about banking i i just didn't find anybody who was thinking about that in the same way and um you know, we're in a fairly affluent uh, market here in the, you know, northern New Jersey, New York metro market. And I really thought there was an opportunity here to start something. Now, at the time I started it, I had no, no, there was never a contemplation that I was actually going to run it. It wasn't like I was switching careers, uh, but I was going to start this business pursuit and I was going to put my stamp on it. And um, one thing led to another. And here we are. You know, it's funny because today, Based on the rate environment and the you know economic ups and downs, and other factors, you might prefer to be back in the custom home building business right now because that business is killing it right now. You can't find enough materials; prices are going through the roof. Maybe you flip back into uh, being a construction and real estate guy. 
Well, you know, it's interesting you should say that because when I started the bank in 2005, the construction industry was on fire. And 2006 was probably one of the most profitable years we'd ever had, uh, not in the bank, but in, in, in the real estate industry in general. And, you know, of course, that was the, you know, the, that, that preceded the 2008 environment. Um, so I hope that I hope we're not headed there. But, you know, my pursuit was about client service. It wasn't necessarily about making more profit or making more money or whatever. It was really to fill a need, to do something special, to do something where people would really be drawn uh, to a way of doing business that was different than what was in the marketplace. And we were we were doing very well in the construction and, and development business. That wasn't that wasn't the issue. So that wasn't the motivator for me. And um, you know, I, I I I think we did a good job of crossing that Rubicon and and figuring that out. Uh, and we've been able to build the company from you know virtually zero uh, to where we stand today. Well, you have that unique perspective too, Frank, of having been a customer of many banks. Because as you said earlier, you know in the real estate construction business, you're borrowing all the time and from different banks. So maybe that gave you a different sensitivity having been a major bank customer versus, you know, kind of a career banker, maybe never borrowed any money from anybody else, except maybe for the mortgage in their house, right? So how has that informed how you approached the go-to-market strategy, the growth strategy of the bank with that customer always in mind? You know, Liz McGinnis, our, our president, always reminds me, she says, you know, Frank, you're still a builder. You're just building a bank. And, <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. You know, a lot of the things that I learned uh, in my career as a builder really helped me to get to where we are today. And, you know, the first thing was this whole client first mentality. You know, if you think about builders, especially custom builders, they're notorious for having bad reputations, right? They cheat, steal, they don't, you know, they, they don't deliver on time. They're cutting corners, uh, right? Yeah. And, you know, people wind up in arguments and it just, it's, 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 uh, it, it's really not a great, generally uh, a, a great relationship for developers and their clients. I had a great relationship with my clients and, and I worked really hard to develop that relationship. And I built it on trust and I built it on the ability to deliver on time, on budget. And, and I built it on being able to really create or bring to fruition somebody's dream of what their home was going to look like. And so, you know, from my perspective, a lot of the things that I learned in my building business, I brought to the banking business and couple that with you know, one of the things that was a hallmark for me was, was, was sense of urgency, you know, getting things done on time, making decisions without all the information that's available to you at any one point in time to be able to decide, are we going to go, not go, are we going to go in a particular direction, not go in a particular direction? All those traits that I had to learn in order to be able to deliver a project on time and deal with the 35 subcontractors, 50 suppliers, you know, material delays, uh, manpower delays, and yet still deliver an on-time product that met the client's expectation. I brought to this, to, you know, to the to to Connect One Bank and to how we move through our process right from the get-go. I mean, most banks that uh, went through a de novo phase they took eighteen to twenty-four months to get started. We did it in five, 
Um, you know, we grew to a billion dollars in assets in our first six years of existence. There was this sense of urgency, like we have to get things done. We have to keep moving. We can't stop. Um, it's not good enough to, you know, sort of sit back on your heels and, and ponder things. We have to make decisions, good ones, bad ones, whatever, and live with them, but make them, make them for the right reason. Make, make I'm not saying just make any decision, but make a decision for the right reason. And it'll generally be the right decision. Well, um, and again, you come at this, you know, not having grown up in banking, but also when you're a new bank, you have to be a little more nimble, a little more agile, move a little quicker. You have that advantage of not necessarily doing things the way it was always done because you just started doing it, right? And there's something to be said for that, I guess. Alan, I, I was always amazed and I, and I even was amazed in you know, my construction business. People would, people would talk about us in a way that they, you would think we were the Michelangelos of builders. And yet all we really did, I answered people's phone calls. I showed up on time. And when there was a problem, I was the first one there. So there was nothing, you know, and I kept a really clean job site. Okay. Everybody here hears my story about, you know, how every day at four o'clock, you know, my crew went and they swept the floors, restacked the lumber, you know, everything was nice and neat. The place might've been falling down, but everybody, you know, walked through and said, wow, this guy must know what he's doing. And I returned people's phone calls. You know, when people called at eight o'clock at night and they were upset about something, they got a return phone call from me very quickly. And it was the same thing. It was the same thing in the banking business. I was I was astounded. People would talk about us not because we had the greatest rates or terms or product or whatever. It was like somebody returned my email at you know nine o'clock at night or on a Saturday or on a Sunday. You know when 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 email was first a, a big thing. Yeah. Uh, and someone actually returned my phone call. You know I didn't have to wait a week to hear whether or not my loan was going to be approved or not. So very similar concepts. Yeah, no, we try to be responsive as well. It's, it sounds like a radical concept. Anyway, I want to go back to something you said a minute ago. You mentioned Liz McGinnis, who, of course, you know, you know that I know well, and I'm very fond of Liz. Your longtime chief lending officer, made president um, last winter, deservedly so. But there aren't still a ton of women presidents or CEOs or even in C-suites of banking, maybe outside of a couple of particular areas. Why do you think it is that we still have such a shortage of women, of diverse populations in the C-suites and in the CEO chair in banking? you have any view on that? You know, the only thing that I could say, and I have a very limited view of this because, as you said, I did not come up through the banking industry. But if you go back and, I, you know, I look at who the, my colleagues are um, at various financial institutions, banks of different sizes and, and whatever, um, and generally they all came through some form of the banking business, right? It may be, that may start to be cracking today. You're seeing some more entrepreneurs uh, entering the field. But back when I started the bank in 2005, and I used to joke all the time that the State Department in New Jersey had what I call the Marx Brothers rule, right? You couldn't be a bank CEO unless you were a bank CEO. So, uh, so it was very, very hard to get into. And when you think about how people you know, move through the ranks within the banking industry to get to those positions of power. They generally started in some sort of credit training program or, you know, some other uh, type of program. And that was very male dominated, probably in the, in the time frame that's within our age group and maybe a little bit older than us. And so I think, you know, that trajectory of that, those classes of people that have moved through the banking system, um, 
are generally male dominated and they probably get the best spots and gotten the best promotions and wind up uh, in the C-suite. I think when you look at a bank like Connect One or you look at some of these other banks that we've, you know, that we talk about uh, that are a lot more entrepreneurial, didn't come from a background of, hey, let's go find all the best bankers. As a matter of fact, when I sit in an interview, if you tell me you were from the banking industry, I'm like, oh boy, another banker. Like, I, you know, I, 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 wanna, I want business people. I want people who understand what other people are going through. I actively seek out people who weren't uh, necessarily in the industry. I, I listen for how people think about the client, how they think about the experience. And so to me, it wasn't so important that you had 30 years experience in the banking industry. I was looking for the best people. And I think when you look at the demographics of uh, Connect One Bank and the type of people that are here, I think you see a much more diversified group of individuals and it feels more entrepreneurial. And so it's really sort of moved away from that, you know, sort of machine that produced uh, senior vice presidents and uh, executives in the banking industry, the traditional, you know, the more traditional type. Oh, it's your, it's your view. So it's good. Do you have any particular initiatives? I mean, you're in the New York metropolitan market, one of the most diverse in the country. Do you have any particular initiatives um, to kind of bring more diverse populations in at the ground floor to, to move them up over time? Well, one of the things that I really um, enjoy seeing today is that, and again, it's a little unfair to everyone else who may be listening, but because we're in such a diverse marketplace, there are so many um, universities and schools and, and places to go and, and, and get talent from that just inherently you wind up with diversity built into that. Diversity is a hallmark here at Connect One Bank. It's diversity of thought. It's diversity of talent. And I also think that, you know, we, were, we started pretty early in the process of trying to hire people with very, very diverse thought backgrounds that didn't necessarily come from within the banking space. And I think a lot of the more legacy type um, bank CEOs, you know, always thought about, well, who was their colleague back in credit class or, you know, who did they know at what other? And they were always pointing to banks to attract people. Alan, you know this firsthand, you helped us place a very influential person here at the company. And the person who, you know, won the, you know, won the uh, seat was someone who didn't come from a very traditional background. So, you know, that's a hallmark here at Connect One. And I think that automatically, and not always, but it automatically introduces a certain level of diversity uh, from, you know, every, uh, every, you know, every angle of what diversity stands for. You know, you decided last year, and I know you and I chatted about this for a couple of years, literally, that, you know, at, at seven, seven and a half billion heading to 10 plus, which, you know, is an inflection point for the regulators, you want to get ahead of the curve, bring in a chief risk officer. Why was that role so important to you at that time, maybe a little earlier than the typical bank might address bringing someone in if they didn't have that person already? What made you what made you think about it at the time? Because you were thinking about it three, four years ago, we were talking about it before you actually went out to look for it in the second half of last year. You know, Alan, I, I like to think about things relative to what makes sense in the business. And, you know, the regulators 
generally don't force any issues, certainly not on us. Um, but if you really listen to why regulation is what it is, it's generally to solve some particular issue that someone's experienced in the past, right? That's what regulators do. They say, hey, we had this problem over here. We don't want that to happen again. So we're going to develop this regulation and we expect everybody to follow it. But if you really think about what led to that, you start to say, hey, wait a minute, um, I can continue down the road I'm on and wait until somebody comes out with a hammer and hits me over the head and says, there's a regulation that says you have to do this. Or I can really focus on the business and say, what is it do I need? When do I need it? And how am I going to go about solving for that issue? So I don't run into that problem when we get to that point in time. And I could see probably three years ago that the level of complexity here at Connect One Bank, not that we're a complex organization, but just the level of thought process around understanding risk and all types of risk just wasn't here. We didn't have the, the, the capability to think about it in a way that would be commensurate with a bank that starts to get, you know, wind up with more and more different lines of business, more ways of generating income. You know, we're at a point now, I mean, I, look, I remember when we first started the bank, I didn't even need a Rolodex. Like I could have, you could ask me about any particular client. I could have told you who it was, where they were, how many percent, you know, complete the project was. Um, I can't, I, I, I don't, I don't know all the clients now. We're in the tens of thousands of individual clients. Um, and the products now that we're developing and some of the, especially now in the new digital age and some of the things we're doing here bring a level of complexity that has to be thought about. And it has to be thought about in a way that takes into account all the aspects of risk. Um, so in that particular um, setting, we said, hey, look, there's a lot going on here. We, we've become more active in the M&A environment. We added a fintech to our business model with our company, Bowfly. Um, we're now diversifying various parts of our loan portfolio and our deposit products. We're involved in a lot of innovative uh, ventures. Uh, we're now involved in a capital uh, raise for a uh, fintech fund. Um, these things are you know, not the bread and butter community bank issue anymore. And they bring everything we do, as you know, get up in the morning and roll out of bed, you present some level of risk. Um, and so we thought this was the right time to start thinking about it and to, to bring someone in at the right time where they could take the proper amount of runway to develop, you know, that, that strategy and that, that ability to take that to a different place as opposed to, oh my God, we're, you know, slamming up against the $10 billion mark, it's going to be required. And so we got to just fill the seat so we can check a box. Uh, we've never checked the box here at Connect One. What do you see as the main, not just the main drivers of the consolidation, but where are we going to end up four or five years from now? You know, we're under 5,000 banks today, by the way, as you know. Well, you know, I stood on a stage at the ABA in front of a thousand bankers. I think it was four or five years ago, and I think there were 8,000 bankers, and I said there'd be 3,000 in five years. We're getting pretty close to that. Um, and the reason I said that and the reason I felt that was that technology and the way in which consumers and businesses utilize the products and services at banks is changing dramatically. 
and has changed dramatically and continues to change dramatically. And the whole rationale around the community bank model, meaning a community within a geographic area, has just totally changed. You know, we now talk about if you, I, I like to, I like to look at where capital's going. And if you look at new capital coming into the banking industry today, it's not going into a bank that looks like what Connect One looked like back in 2005, when I put a flag up and said, hey, I think Englewood Cliffs, Bergen County needs a, you know, a bank because there's no bank here to serve us. Capital's going into businesses that have created specialized niches around certain financial products and services. And that niche now is now becoming the new local. That's where people are gravitating towards. And so, you know, when you think about banks that do all things for all people, um, I think they're at a severe disadvantage to some of these niche plays. And so we're trying to develop, you know, those strategies to be able to do that. And when I look around at the environment, there are too many banks that just look like each other and there's no real purpose. There's nothing exciting about why they're in business. They can't even explain to you what it is they do. You know, Bill Burns, my CFO, has this great line that when he first said it to me, he almost knocked me out of my chair. He said, you know, this is a great business. He said, what other business do you know of that you make, you make application to the FDIC, they give you this gold certificate, you put it in the window, and then people come in and they just give you money. Insured by the FDIC, people come and give you money. And that's what this business really was in the beginning, right? It was a place to store, you know, to safely store your funding. That's changed pretty dramatically. I mean, people still think about that, don't get me wrong, but does it really matter if you have the best corner in town and the two-lane drive up, a four-lane drive up, or does it really matter that you're solving your clients' needs? And you know, we're finding we're able to solve our clients' needs, whether they're in Bergen County, whether they're in New York Metro, or whether they're in Florida or Wyoming. Well, you've always been ahead of your time and ahead of the curve for the typical bank. That's for sure, Frank. So on that note, I want to thank you very much for sharing your wisdom and experience with us here. Uh, it's been a great conversation. Thank you, Alan. So you've been listening to the Talent Pool podcast. I'm your host, Alan Kaplan from Kaplan Partners. If you'd like to hear more from Frank or our other guests or learn about our firm, visit kaplanpartners.com. Thanks so much for joining us. 